Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's chat about the Champions League, shall we? Hello and welcome to episode 31, yes 31 of the Real Football Cast. I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. Usually we've been discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days but there's been no action from that competition has there so we'll focus on Europe instead. In addition to that there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour as we look ahead to a big weekend of top flight action. It's time for another afternoon recording and after such a solid run out last week Cole's going to be leading the line once more. So Cole, how have things been with you my friend? Yeah, really good, Dan. Good to be back, mate. It's a pleasure to always have you on, mate. So thanks for uh, coming on board today. Before we uh, chat all things football, I'd best do some social media bits first. Otherwise, we'll be talking to the abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at StanTracy1983. Anything show-related, send it my way. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. And if you use that platform, then don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, then you can find me on SoundCloud and Acast. Well, the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. And what is Loserpool, I hear you ask? It's a game that sees betting turn in its head, with a focus being on the loser. If this has grabbed your interest, then be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account. Especially as, once again, there's a prize pool which guarantees the winner £1,000, something you won't want to miss out on. The odds of winning are great, they're even better if you sign up, and it's also free to sign up, so you've got no excuses at all. There's literally nothing stopping you. Right then, it's time to go... Live. And where should we go first? Let's take a whistle-stop tour around Europe, I guess. Um, for Tottenham versus Dortmund, Cole and I have already discussed this at length on the East Spurs podcast that you may be familiar with. So if you want to listen to that in full, check that out. You're more than welcome to. So um, before we sort of look at last night's events or, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday, let's look back a week at Man United versus PSG. So, Cole, the bubble has finally burst for Ollie and his men. Um, to be honest, that result at Old Trafford made us two look silly because we both backed United to win then again I backed them to win the whole Champions League at the start of the year so I should probably keep quiet by now but in all seriousness Cole is that a sign that although United have you know looked really good under their new manager there's still some work to be done 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, as you said, Dan, for some reason I thought United could get something out of that game given the players PSG were missing. But I guess we've we've forgot about how good Mbappe Mbappe is and even players like Di Maria, to be honest, because he obviously went there with a point to prove. Um, And I was actually surprised at how in control PSG really were. You know, United really didn't cause them too many problems. Um, And I was actually surprised by that. I thought United would do a little bit better. But I guess, as you say, it does kind of show that I think United have got some great players. You know, Pogba has picked his form up. Martial and Rashford have, you know, been in brilliant form recently for Ole. But I guess there are still weaknesses there, aren't they, for United, especially in the defensive area. You know, they've probably got one of the best keepers in the world. But then when you look at the centre-backs, none of them kind of fill you with that much confidence. Um, Full-back-wise, again, you know, there's no one there that you kind of look at and think, oh, yeah, they'd get in most teams in the world. So I think they they come across a team that actually just had too much for them. Um, And Mbappe, well... That is just that boy is just frightening to watch, isn't he? Because when he puts the afterburners on, I don't think there's anyone in world football who can live with him. You know, the pace is just frightening. And for that second goal, you know, you could see it coming a mile off. And once he once he just started running, the ball was brilliant. But the pace to get there and then finish um, was was brilliant. And th- that kind of basically seals that game, doesn't it? You know, I can't see United being able to go out to. France and get anything there against them. Um, so yeah, really surprised. Dan, I thought United would do much better and cause you know more problems than they did. But in all honesty, I think maybe it does show that they that they still lack the real quality, the real world class quality in some key positions in that side, and that is what's going to ultimately cost them when they come up against, if you like, the elite the elite sides of Europe. I think with PSG, I think a lot of people, you know, us included, we were probably fell into the trap where PSG lost to Liverpool in the group stages. And a lot of people then felt, oh, PSG, it's just a, a posh Celtic where they'll run over roughshod in France and then when they actually get a European test, they fall by the wayside. But, you know, when they when they fancy it, they've really got the players. And you mentioned Mbappe, and I've put in my notes here that really it's quite scary how good he's going to be in the next sort of decade or so because it's all set up for him to be the greatest player you know in the next sort of generation because you know he's an absolute joy to watch now and he's only going to get even better and that's quite worrying isn't it yeah I mean you can actually just you can actually see the fear against players going up against him you know you can see that if you're marking him you are thinking if this bloke gets the slightest chance of or run at me I'm in trouble because the pace is scary, the skill's scary. And as you say, for someone so young with the kind of development that, that he's still got in him, then you're just sitting there thinking, wow, this this guy can be one of the special players in world football. You know, you're, you're looking at possibly, you know, the next in line to the Messi and Ronaldo crown at some point whether he'll stay in France I'm not so sure I can imagine the lure of one of those big Spanish sides will come pretty soon um because that that's face it of as you said PSG you know is that French league up to too much you know it's not you know apart from you know what we used to think Monaco were were up there but they've really kind of 
fallen away massively um, this year. So who do they really have to come across, you know, in their own league? No one really that's going to trouble them. And I think that might be the lure for someone like Mbappe that when Madrid or Barcelona possibly come knocking, it'll be too much for him to turn down. But I tell you now, yeah, that that is frightening what, what that player could become. I mean, with Mbappe, let's say that France go on to win Euro 2020. I think at that point, PSG can name their price and Real Madrid and Barcelona would pay it because I think then you have got the, the best player in the world waiting or already there to sort of crack on for the next major tournaments for, what, six, eight years? It's, you know, he could be playing in the World Cup 2030 and still doing damage for France. That's how sort of scary the prospect is. But um, in terms of Man United, they play Liverpool on Sunday. More on that later as we sort of look ahead to the Premier League. But the hype for Tuesday for Liverpool Bayern didn't quite didn't quite live up to it did it it was a bit a game that sort of fell flat um, perhaps were people guilty of thinking Bayern were going to be a pushover because a lot of people have gone oh Bayern aren't the team they were but at the same time I thought it was a very solid performance from the Germans yeah that I, I actually I was actually kind of enjoying that game a little bit because each team seemed it was like a bit like a basketball game when they went forward you know they went with such pace and before you knew it, they were in each other's, you know, around each other's penalty boxes quite direct and really quickly. Um, it was just no real end quality once either team got, you know, around, in and around that area to, to finish, you know, the other one off. And it wasn't a game of that many clear-cut chances. Um, but there was some good football on display. But I was like you, Dan. I think I completely agree with you there. I'd, pro- I'd kind of written by and off thinking, that yeah, they're not the team they are, you know. People like Lewandowski, you know, getting on a little bit now um, they were missing some key players as well but I tell you they put in a really good performance um, and you wouldn't write them off now winning that that home tie if they play that same way I guess the only good thing for Liverpool really to come out of that game was no away goal for Bayern so you know a draw is probably not the worst result in the world for them because if they go away now and catch Bayern on a counter or something, then they've got that nicety of a way goal there. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure most people might have seen the talk sport um, caller who came on and basically just said that the good thing now is if Liverpool score one, then Bayern have to score three because your away goals count double. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, like, it doesn't actually work like that, mate. <laughs> that oh, doesn't, that's not how the away goal rule works. Um, but, but that was that was a quality moment of radio there. But um, yeah, I, I, it was two good sides, I think. But just neither really showed the quality on the night to kind of get it over the line. Um, and I, you would say it was a real even game, to be honest. No one, you know, no one team dominated the game. So I'm looking forward to that second leg now for that one. I mean, Liverpool, they're more than capable of getting a score draw out in uh, Germany, even a win. Um, is there the same appetite, though, to progressing the Champions League compared to last season. Obviously, they went all the way to the final, didn't quite get the result in in Kiev. But um, when you compare it to, obviously, their pursuit of the Premier League, whisper it quietly, but if they fall out of Europe, then that means they're only competing on one front, which is then one game a week compared to City. So, obviously, you don't want to be sort of saying, let's swap one set of silverware for another, because that's quite a risky strategy. But there won't be too many tears if Liverpool do crash out of the Champions League. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think it is. I think even Klopp said that in the week, didn't he, in his press conferences, that if you ask Liverpool supporters now, what would you rather, what, what's your main priority? They'd all say the Premier League. Um, they want to be able to crow about being 
you know, champions and winning the title again. So I think you're quite right, to be honest. Last year, it was their main be all and end all, I think. They knew, you know, that is what they wanted to win. Whereas this year, it's like, well, okay, this would be nice to progress, but actually, we've got a real shot at this title now. And as you say, I, I don't think it'd be one of them if they do go out that there'd be too many fans being overly disappointed as long as. You know, if, if, it, if it meant they got the title, I think obviously if they drop away from both, then obviously the season starts looking a little bit more of a failure, doesn't it? So as you say, risky strategy to maybe try and just concentrate on one thing. But I think the way it's going for them now, if you as a supporter, you'd probably say, well, the league is really the best chance of what we've got to win now. And we do really want to win that as our top priority. And it's been a trio of Premier League versus Bundesliga pairings over the Champions League round of 16. So last night, arguably the most entertaining of the uh, three, Tottenham notwithstanding. But um, it needed more than Anfield stalemate. So 10-man City came away with what at one point, I guess, looked like an unlikely win. Uh, Sterling's last-minute winner. The scoreline was obviously close, but you'd have to admit that the better side were the deserved winners in the end. Yeah, they were, weren't they? City, you know, the way the game started, you kind of thought City could go and blow them away um, and really win it comfortably. So I think once when, you know, Schalke suddenly managed to get themselves 2-1 in front, you thought, wow, I wasn't expecting this. But City was still always the better side, weren't they? You could see Schalke were just trying to, you know, bed in try and just keep it at 2-1 and City always looked like they were going to make the breakthrough at some point um, and I tell you now what a way to make that breakthrough with that free kick because that was that was something special the free kick um, but yeah a well-deserved win for City um, and again I guess it's just a game that kind of shows that on their day it you know there's they are the sort of team that someone else will find it hard to stop them because when they're playing in the sort of mood they were last night and have been over the last previous few weeks, then that that team is a real frightening special team. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Like, when they fancy it and they've got the bit between their teeth, then they are unstoppable, really. So, Agent Bentaleb may or may not have been working <laughs> on Tottenham last night. Did his best, obviously. Two penalties were awarded. It's fair to say that VAR was thrown into the spotlight. What did you make of the decisions? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's all about, the, you know, I, I think of, in the end, the right decisions were made, I feel. Yep. Um, I guess it is just the way that people are going about it, isn't it? I think the biggest thing with VAR is the biggest argument I think people have now is the way that it's used and how, how it's brought in and what it's used for. Um, but whether we like it or not, Though the right decisions were made last night in the end, for me, I feel anyway, you know, I do think it was him. Yeah, it, it it needs a little bit of work. We need to refine it. Um, we thought we had it. You know, for me, it was spot on the way it was used in the World Cup. And I just think we need to make sure that we transfer that into the way it's used right now. Um, because, yeah, there is still some confusion where, you know, what's being looked at, what isn't. I think in the grounds, people are still not sure that something's being reviewed when it is. Um, and I think that's what they need to try and start making clear to the supporters in the ground that, well, hold on, we're stopping play because we're reviewing something. But the right decisions were made in the end. And for me now, I think that's the key bit that, you know, whether you like it or not, the right decisions are getting made. And we've seen over the last few, you know, over the, over this season, when it has been used, it's got things right most of the time. And let's face it, if when it's for you and your club, and you end up getting the decision view, through a VAR review, 
you're happy because you you don't feel so you know you don't feel like you've been cheated so i think it's right i think last night they got it right i just think we need to work on how it's going to be used and what supporters see and get told what's happening in the in the grounds yeah i think do you know what you've hit the nail on the head there that ultimately as long as the decisions that are being made are correct then that's fundamentally what needs to be happening so it's not ideal the time that was taken last night and the fact that fans aren't you know haven't got that certainty so whether it's all about mandatory screens in the grounds and everyone sort of has that suspense element you know there's there's ways to sort of dress it up but I think you know if we waited three minutes for a decision and then it was wrong there'd be you know everyone would be up in arms so we're sort of getting there it's not perfect but at least the right decisions are being made. And that was also the case in the, the um, Atletico Juventus game. So we had a Thiago Costa penalty award, which is then downgraded to a free kick. And then Alvaro Morata had a goal talked off altogether. So again, you know, took time to make his decisions, but they were right. So they can't have too many complaints. And then eventually, Thiago Simeone's men got the job done with a 2-0 win. So a big result for them. And it leaves Ronaldo and co with it all to do in the second leg. But at the same time with Ronaldo's Champions League winning pedigree, it's still in the balance that tie, isn't it? Yeah, you certainly wouldn't write um, Juventus off now, would you? But I guess the one, the one thing that you kind of know with a Simeone side, giving them a two-goal head start is not something you want to do because they will. Just, they are the sort of team that can just dig in and basically grind out a nil-nil or at worst, just so maybe only lose one-nil. Um, and obviously when they've got the sort of players like you know Griezmann in their side, then you always know they are capable of hitting you and scoring as well. So, as you say, it's, it's all for Juventus to do. But, but like you said, when you've got you know CR7 in your side, you wouldn't write him off getting a, a perfect hat-trick in that second leg and seeing Juventus through to the next round. But I, I can't see that happening. I think they've, they've come, they'll come across a team that know how to dig in and get a result. And I wouldn't be surprised if that second leg's a nil-nil and Juventus are frustrated. Yeah, I think Godin's goal was just sort of tip the tie in sort of Atletico's favour. Because 1-0, it's, it would really be in the balance. And you think, well, I don't know, Juventus could still go on and win this. But I think just that 2-0 head start, like you say, it's advantage to Atletico, certainly. And I guess another tie which is almost in the balance is Ajax Real Madrid. So Real Madrid have obviously won the last three editions of the, the uh, competition. And they take a 2-1 lead back to the Bernabeu. But now the test is... Can they win Champions Leagues um, in spite of Ronaldo or do they win them because of him? Because although they're stuttering slightly, again, they're not a team you can necessarily rule out until they are out. Yeah, I, I, as you say, this is one of those sides, isn't it? You know, they weren't a one-man team with Ronaldo because they had a lot of quality on the pitch apart from him. Um, he obviously took all the spotlight with his, with his goals that there and you can't knock it. Um, and obviously, when you've got a centre half like Ramos in your side, you've always got a chance because you know it, he will do. You know, he'll perform some shit or he won't. He that gets you through or gets a player sent off or something like that to help. Um, I don't see him winning it this year. I think this will probably be the year too far for him. And I think if they come up against someone like a City um, or you know even possibly PSG and any sort of side that has a real attacking threat. I think you can get at Real Madrid this year a lot easier than you could previous years. So I, I can see them possibly getting through this next round. But then for me, I, I think they'll get put out the round after that, whoever they get, because I just don't think they've got the legs this year. And it's not going for them in the, in the league. Um, and I, I don't think they'll be able to make it for, not, for me, a year too far from now. 
Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, if we look at the other two results quickly, Leon drew Barcelona, which was another nil-nil draw. So not a good night for European football on Tuesday. And Roma have got the better of Porto by two goals to one. So, Cole, if we sort of look ahead, and I don't want to tempt fate, but those sort of ties that are in the balance, if they go in favour of the, the lesser clubs, shall I say, that quarter-final draw really opens up. I mean, let's assume that Juventus go by the wayside and let's go get the job done. And you never know... Real Madrid might slip up. And then you've got like a very open Champions League. Because usually you sort of think it's going to be eight teams at the quarterfinal stage, but only two or three could realistically win it. Come the quarterfinal, if Spurs are in there, then you'd have to sort of fancy them, especially if they can get someone like Roma in the quarters. You think, hang on, like it gets a lot closer then, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't, as you say, if those fancied sides, you say, if someone like Barcelona go out and that, then I don't think there's anyone in there that you should fear at all. You know, I think you kind of feel that on our day, you know, with a strong side out, I wouldn't, I I would put money on us beating any of those teams in a one off game or, you know, getting, you know, having a good home leg that sets us up for the away leg. So there'd be no one in there I'd fear, to be honest, at that point. Um, You know, I'd still, you'd still fancy, say someone like City, then, you know, so if a couple of those fancied teams go out, for me, someone like City would be rubbing their hands or PSG. But I still wouldn't fear playing those teams. I'd still sort of think, well, if we can do a job on them at home and then possibly go away and put in a shift out, you know, out at their ground, we could come away with a result, especially with players coming back. Um, and obviously for Spurs, if we can get in that new stadium by the time that, that next round comes in, then obviously there'd be the, the big bounce of that and the feeling and atmosphere there. So, yeah, I, but then I don't think there's any team left in it at that point who would fear anybody. As you say, it, it would become a real open competition, wouldn't it? You wouldn't have one team that you'd go, well, they're going to win it. You know, previous years, you've had your Barcelonas or teams like that that you thought, well, they're going to win it unless something disastrous happens to them but this year I think it is really open and it makes for a better it makes for a better spectacle doesn't it because no games are certainty at the moment yeah absolutely I think you know the Champions League always comes alive after Christmas but I think you know if we're getting into the business end if we use that cliche you know it is a very wide open tournament this season I think you know with English interest in there if, if City gets Spurs say in a quarter final or semi-final then over two legs you think, well, why can't Tottenham get something out of this? Maybe over 90 minutes, you think, you know, in the league game as we um, displayed in October, we weren't the better side on the night and we, we got punished. But, you know, with two bites at the cherry, anything can happen. So it'd be interesting to see where people are going to be sort of nailing their colours to the mast in terms of the Champions League. Obviously, we've still got second legs of this round to go. But, you know, the, the landscape is sort of shifting European football and it'll be interesting to see who comes out on top. But if we move away from the Champions League, let's slot. Let's start looking at domestic matters. And to be honest, neither me or Carl watched a great deal of the FA Cup. Actually, I don't think we even watched a minute. So let's try not really focus on that too much. But it's a tournament that when you're in it as a, a fan, you want to win it. But when you're not, you just sort of stop caring, really. And I think that's what's happened to us as Spurs fans. That said, United bounced back from their PSG defeat. And they got the better of Chelsea as the pressure begins to mount even further on Mauricio Sarri. So I did a piece the other day and it turns out that Chelsea and Sarri, by extension, have made just 37 Premier League lineup changes this season. So that's about, I don't know, less than one and a half per game. So just over one, less than two on average. So it's the third lowest in the division. So, Carl, I'll put it to you. Has the refusal to change personnel more often meant that the players that he's trusted early in the season, are they starting to tire and then the season is in danger of falling apart? Yeah, I mean, I, I've got a couple of Chelsea fans, Dan, and, and 
it's really funny when their team lineup comes out. You know, they put tweets out that sort of say, "Oh, who could have predicted that lineup?" So even the fans have kind of got a little bit fed up of the kind of monotonousy and and the knowing. Oh, well, we're going to do this. This is who he's going to pick. You know, and there was a tweet the other day around these substitutions, wasn't there? That he makes in games, and it was always the same subs around the same minutes. Um, and I find it baffling. That that I find really bizarre. And as you say, now their season looks like it's just petering out. Um, and by the time, you know, possibly after this Sunday, you get the feeling that they just could be on the beach already and just now playing games to see out the season. And, and that would be a real worry if I was a Chelsea fan because the way the season started, they actually looked like they could be in not only in the top four, but possibly push for a title if they continued the way they were playing. But then once teams, once they were worked out, everyone now knows what to do against them and how they're going to try and play. And, you know, OK, well, if we just do this or do that, and we nullify this player and nullify that player. And then, you know, the manager won't do nothing to kind of turn it around. So the season really has dropped and there's a real bad feeling around that club at the moment. I mean, they've always you know, they're always teetering on the brink of a crisis, Chelsea, aren't they? Even when they're having their good years, you always get the feeling it could crumble, you know, within a month or two of the next season starting. Um, but it's really strange this year because the, I think the fans have turned. Um, the players seem to just not be showing any interest. Um, and, yeah, I, I'd really worry. I, whether Sarri sees the season out now, I think a lot of that goes down to what happens Sunday and kind of the result they get in that cup final. Because, to be honest, if they're on the end of another spanking there, I, I can't see him being in charge for the time Spurs go to Stamford Bridge in the league, to be honest. Which, when you say that, is quite an insane statement to make, considering he, what, 12 games unbeaten at the start of the season or something like that. It was a really, really good start. And like you say, people are thinking, do you know what? If Chelsea might win this season. They might sort of go and push Man City all the way. It was sort of not really Liverpool looked in the sort of title race. It was Chelsea or City, sorry, ball, everyone sort of fell in love with him. And now the love affair has ended like almost instantly. And one player that garners a lot of attention, not just from us as fans, but opposition managers, is Jorginho. And that's something that we touched on in December, I believe, when Chelsea drew it home to Everton. So arguably, it's the only thing that Marco Silva has done right all season. And that was to pinpoint the Napoli, or the former Napoli midfielder, as the supply line, that if you block that off, you basically just kill Chelsea off. So, since he worked that out, a lot of managers have followed suit, and, you know, why won't Sarri try something different? If it's not the players that are tired, then the, cert- the system certainly is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he did a press conference a little while ago where someone asked him, you know, why would you not drop Kante back into the position where he's been so successful for Leicester and Chelsea in his first year? And he came back saying he doesn't move the ball quick enough and that's not how I want to play. Well, the trouble is, is that the way you want to play now, everyone's cottoned on to it. So we all know what's coming and no one's surprised and everyone's got a plan to to stop you doing what you're going to do. So why not change it up now? You know, you must be talking about a real stubborn man that if he thinks, well, I'm not going to change this. Yeah, we're losing. Teams have caught us out. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with it. I don't see what he thinks is going to change from where it is now. So I'm very surprised that he hasn't decided to change it up one week, you know, drop Kante back in or play him at least alongside Jorginho and try and, you know, do something different with his forward line or the way the midfield sets out. Um, 
And that would actually worry me as well, because you kind of think you want to see that your manager's adaptable. And obviously during a game can see something happening and try something to change it. Um, and the fact he doesn't. And I think that's probably what's annoying Chelsea fans more than anything now, isn't it? Is it? It's like we can see what's happening. You must be able to see it. Change it, please. Just do something different. I mean, in that game uh, against United in the Cup, I thought it was kind of criminal that he left Hudson Adoyu on the bench. You know, there is possibly a real game changer player on on the bench for you. So you bring him on and just, you know, you're losing. You may as well do something and take a risk with the side and mix it up a little bit. Just anything that might spark you into life. And the fact he made his same subs as he always does was really worrying them. I mean, of course, there is the small matter of the Carabao Cup final on Sunday. A chance for Chelsea to exact revenge for the thrashing that they were dealt at the hands of Manchester City almost, what, a fortnight or so ago. So, you know, we've just sort of touched on the refusal to change systems. It obviously didn't work in Manchester. Does he sort of leave it untouched and think, you know, let's just hope for the best? Or does he look at that 6-0 defeat and think, right, something has to change on Sunday. I've got to try something different. I mean, what do Chelsea do in terms of rolling the dice here? Well, you would think they'd try to do something different now, wouldn't you? I mean, for me, if he didn't put Kante back into his favourite position, even just for one game to try it, to sort of think, well, hold on, if this guy is the best, you know, destroyer of play, well, what what sort of team do we need a destroyer in? This is the game you need a destroyer. So put him in that favourite position and let him do what he does best. But... You know, I, I'm, I'd imagine, I don't know whether he sticks with hudson Adoyu because he's played him in the Carabao Cup. Um, and that would be something different, I think, because I really like the look of him and he could be a player that causes City some problems. But I don't think he's going to change the lineup too much, to be honest. I think he'll he'll just be brave and stick with what, he, what he's doing. Um, and like I say, the worry there would be is that I think City will know what's coming and they'll just be ready for it. And Chelsea won't have the answers for the sort of attacking play City will bring. It might not be the same heavy-handed victory, but do you feel the outcome will ultimately be the same? Yeah, I do. Um, And to be honest, the feeling around the club and the way Chelsea have just played in the last couple of games, I could actually still see City getting at least four in that game and really kind of making it one of these cup finals that by half-time is finished. And, you know, the Chelsea fans are left scratching their head thinking, do we sit this out now or do we just make a move now and get away before it gets worse? But I still see City handing them quite a big thumping, to be honest. If that is the case, do you think that would be the last days of Sarri then? Yes, definitely. I I think if they get... Maybe if they if they only maybe lose one nil or two one something like that, then that might be enough in the performance that makes Abramovich hold fire. But I think if it's anything like a four nil or five one something like that, then and the performance is as bad as they have been, then we know Abramovich is not one who's shy to pull the trigger and try something else. And I, I think he'd sit there and say, "Yeah, we've just been humiliated in a cup final. This guy ain't for us." get him out and we go again with the next man Uncle Gus it'll be Uncle Gus in charge for Uncle uh, Gus till the end yeah it will be won't it you can't see anyone else (laughs) (laughs) 
But um, although the first piece of major domestic silverware is being handed out on Sunday, it's arguably not even the biggest event of that day, as Man United take on Liverpool at Old Trafford. So we talked about this last week very briefly, and we sort of come to the agreement that it's one to book in the diary with no interruptions. I mean, this is going to be massive. I think due to the Sky Hype train, I don't usually get excited about neutral games anymore because they're just sort of pumped into your veins. But I certainly am this weekend. What's your take on it, Cole? Yeah, I'm like you, Dan. I'm going to set some time aside this Sunday. Um, and as you say, normally when you get these Super Sundays, you're, you're due and boring nil-nil where no one attacks at all. But I think this is one game where we're not going to see that. You know, Solskjaer has made it clear that he wants to, you know, emulate the United way of attacking football. So... <clears throat> You can't see him sitting back at all. We know Liverpool's style of play is to hit fast and try and break and counter. And I think you'll just have two teams who stick to their game plan. And I think this Sunday could be a real, you know, a real blaster of a game. And you wouldn't be surprised if you see like a 3-2 or something like that on the cards. Which way it goes, though? Well, that is really interesting, isn't it? I guess, you know... United just coming off that defeat in midweek to PSG might have knocked the wind out of their sails a little bit. But then we know how motivated they'll be to try and stop Liverpool. So I'm not sure which way I'd call this on Sunday. I really ain't. I I don't, you know, under Mourinho, you would have said I would have backed Liverpool all day long. But right now, I I just couldn't call it. I I don't know who's going to win. But it'll only be by the odd goal. But I think that odd goal could be a 3-2 you know, 2-1 Rip Barner of a game where it's attack for 90 minutes. I said the exact same thing about Mourinho. I said if this was a Liverpool team going to Old Trafford with Mourinho in charge, Liverpool win that all day long. Now, though, I've got a feeling United will win this. I think for Liverpool, it's just avoided losing because obviously if they get a point, they use up their game in hand, there's still a point clear in the race of the title. And I think, you know, it's still in their hands. I think if they lose then the pendulum swings massively to Man City, doesn't it? Because they sort of spurn that opportunity. I just think United, they're not just going to be looking at this game as spoilers. You know, they don't want to be just interrupting Liverpool's title haul. They've also got the small matter of trying to finish in the top four themselves. So they're, you know, they've got an objective um, probably overriding the fact of just trying to ruin Liverpool. So I've, I think United are going to be really up for this. And it could be, like I say, one of the season-defining clashes. I mean, City-Liverpool was a good one. I've got a feeling this might be even better. So I'm going to pin my colours to the mask. I'm going to go for United win. But I think you're right. Big shout. Big shout. I think, think, as you say, I think if United win this game, then I think that turns the season. Because if City go and win the League Cup at the weekend, and then, you know, obviously United beat Liverpool, then I think the momentum swings fully in City's way. And I think they just go on and then blitz the rest of the season on that momentum. Whereas you say, if Liverpool can get a result or at least a draw and come away unscathed, then I still think Liverpool are in, you know, a good place. But a Liverpool defeat, and I think it really turns the season on its head. OK, let's take a whistle-stop tour of the other seven Premier League games that are taking place over the course of the weekend. We've got two Friday night clashes, which is a bit weird. I don't know why they are scheduled as they are. But first up, let's go to South Wales. Cardiff versus Watford. So Cardiff won their last two. Watford have drawn three of the last six, but they're obviously much higher in the table. What do you make of this one? Watford are a funny side. I've liked Watford this year. You know, they've got results at difficult places where, you know, before they weren't getting those kind of results. But Cardiff are on a high, aren't they? You know, they're still using the kind of um, Salah plane incident in, you know, to drive them on. Um, But you just kind of wonder when that still, you know, when that, how far can that take them? Um, I 
think it's the kind of result that takes them to safety this year, or not result, but I think it's the kind of incident that gives them enough drive and enough um, ambition to get themselves out of trouble. But I think they'll come unstuck this weekend against Watford because Watford are just a steady, steady side. You know, they get the results when they need to. And I think, you know, Deeney and co, I just think will be too strong for Cardiff um, this weekend and Watford will come away the winners there. Okay, staying on Friday night and West Ham versus Fulham. So the Hammers, they've not won any of their last four in the league. Fulham shipping goals for fun. So your thoughts on this London derby? Uh, that's uh, I can only see a West Ham win in this one. You know, I think with players like Anderson and that, then you know the way Fulham defend this year and the way their season's been going, I just I can't can't see them having enough about them to get a result there. Um, so for me, that's going to be a West Ham win. If Fulham lose this one, are they as good as done? Yeah, you. I I would think so. I mean, if I'm all honest, I think them and Huddersfield are gone already. Yeah, I think you're so, right. So, to me, even if they get a win in this game, I still don't see them having enough now to get out of trouble. You know, I think that relegation battle for me is down to one position at the moment. Yeah, it looks like a dogfight to avoid 18th. I think you could probably put six, maybe even seven teams, depending on this weekend's results. But we'll sort of gloss through the others in a minute. One of those teams in that... Bracket are Burnley. They host Tottenham Saturday lunchtime. Cole, am I right in thinking you're going for a 2-0 into Spurs? More importantly, how many minutes would you give Harry Kane if he's ready? Yeah, I, I think we'll have too much for him. Um, although Burnley, I say, but we can't write Burnley off because no. they've really picked their form up recently and they've been playing some good stuff. So it's not going to be easy, but I think we'll have too much for him. And again, I guess with Kane, it all depends how that game's going, doesn't it? If it's nil-nil come the 65th minute and we're not really creating many chances, then I I see him getting thrown on. Um, If we've kind of got a 1-0 lead and looking comfortable or we're two up and the game is just petering out for the rest of it, then I wouldn't risk him. I would just keep him back and just, you know, the more minutes and weeks we can give him to rest that ankle and fully heal it, the better. So I think it'll all depend how it's going. If I, if we get to 65 minutes and we haven't created much and it's looking tight, then I'll see him coming on. Yeah, I think you'd have to sort of smash the emergency glass if it's nil-nil at that point, wouldn't you? But you're certainly <coughs> right. The, you know, if we hit sort of two-nil and it's comfortable, don't take the risk. Because, I mean, we spoke about this at length about the Tranmere game, didn't we? And then a week later, ironically, he got injured against Man United. So... It can happen, and you'd be sort of fuming that if an unnecessary injury where you're sort of coasting against Burnley, and then he has another relapse. So it's a very important period, especially at this time of the season. We think those minutes that are saved against Burnley could be absolutely crucial in a Champions League final or at the end of the you know last day of the season. So although everyone's clamouring the bit for him to return, there is sort of logic to maybe hold it back till at least midweek. You know, um, yeah, definitely. There's there's potentially bigger games, isn't there, of where course, you, yeah. you you need him, yeah. Um, where should we go next? Newcastle versus Huddersfield. Not quite a six-pointer due to Huddersfield um, and their proximity at the foot of the table because they are, you know, they're done. So whatever points they get really is just sort of delaying the inevitable. So you have to look at this and think anything less than a win for the Magpies would be a huge opportunity spurned in terms of their bid to stave off relegation. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see new. I don't see that game being a pretty game to be at, um, no. and I could probably only see a one-nil win um, for Newcastle. 
they'll still be hurting from that draw at Wolves in their last game because, you know, that really would have felt like a defeat for them at the time when that equaliser came. But I think they're probably playing well enough, Newcastle, to get the result. But again, it's not, you know, it's not going to be one of those where they steamroll a Huddersfield. Probably a workman like 1 0. But they'll get the job done, I think. And as you say, Huddersfield for me now, they, they are just seeing the season out um, and playing games now for the enjoyment, if you like, because I think the inevitable is, is going to happen there. And it's just about planning for next season for them. Yep, you're absolutely right. I think this one's definitely marked for under 1.5 goals on your coupon, isn't it? Like, it's not going to be... This, this will be last on yep. the running order <laughs> match of the day, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely right, Cole. Like, it's got, it just screams of... Um, probably oh, I'm going to switch it off now and go to bed. You know what I mean, it's not even one <laughs> yeah. you probably watch. Like, yeah, when when they say still to come, oh. you think, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, <laughs> no chance. Give this one a swerve. Um, hopefully, there might be more goals at the Vitality as Bournemouth take on Wolves. So it's the team that would love to be uh, what our Wolves are doing versus Wolves. So Bournemouth season, I guess, is almost finished, and it certainly will be if the visitors pick up a win on Saturday. Yeah, Wolves are playing really well, aren't they? Um, and you wouldn't be surprised if Wolves go and get a, get a win there. But again, Bournemouth are a side that at home, they can turn it on and play some really good stuff and get some good results. So I think that will actually be an in, in you know entertaining, interesting game to watch because I think you've got two sides where neither have got nothing to lose. So... There's no, there's no reason why they shouldn't go out and try and attack and play some good football. So I could see that being one of those high-scoring games. Then you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you get like again there three-two or even a four-three sort of game. But I think Wolves might just nick that one because I think you know Wolves away from home play some really good football and and they've got a good system. And that draw again, that draw at Newcastle, you know, that last-minute equaliser, which makes you feel a bit like a winner when you come up away from the ground I think the momentum will be with Wolves and, and they'll get a result there but I can see a high scoring game yeah I think you're right you know it could be something silly like a three all draw or something but I think Wolves are in the box seat to come out on top of that one uh, Leicester versus Palace so Leicester as you look at the table now they're sort of safe from any real relegation hassle but if they lose to Palace on Saturday it's only two points between the two teams so then the pressure heaps even further on Claude Puel so I mean you, I don't know if Leicester really sort of in a relegation scrap, but it's not quite all things calm at the King Power, is it? Yeah, as you say, you don't get the feeling they're a club in a massive relegation battle. Um, they, they, to be honest, Leicester can on their day can still play some really decent football. Well, they played well against um, Spurs, didn't they, the other week? Like, yeah, that's right. I mean, they were the better side, wouldn't they, against us? And you wouldn't have begrudged them coming away with a result if that had happened. So if they can produce that sort of performance I think they'll brush Palace aside with no problem but the trouble is Leicester can suddenly play really well one week and then really poor the next week and come unstuck Um, and Palace are not an easy side but I just think you know Leicester at home for me I see Leicester edging it possibly 2-1 you know something like that Um, if they can keep players like Sahar, Townsend, Quiet then you know Palace don't really have too much other than those players in an attack sense. But, yeah, I really, yeah, again, one of them games, I don't think you could call it. You wouldn't be surprised if Palace got a result. But then if Leicester played the way they can and did against Spurs, I'd have Leicester down to nick that one. Yeah, I mean, if Leicester do win, then I think any sort of fear of relegation is almost eradicated. Yeah, really. that, that's it then, isn't it? I think they're safe if they win. Um, and then, But then the problem is then you get that, 
that sense that everyone feels that around yes, the club, don't they? And exactly. everyone just switches off to the end of the season then. And although although you're safe, you drop down to about 14th or something like that and the season looks like it's been a, a dreadful one. So they'll need to be careful. Um, you know, let's face it, they're not... Piel's a strange manager, isn't he? He doesn't seem to get much love wherever he goes. And when you listen to the phone-ins after Leicester games, their fans are not too enamoured with him. So... Yeah, I, I, it's a strange one for Leicester, but if they win, I think they're safe. But then uh, if they do, I see their season kind of just dripping away and then they could be on the end of some thumpings after that. Well, that's it, really. If you've uh, you know, a team in the title race or even at the bottom, you've got Leicester in that sort of last 11 matches, you're thinking, brilliant, because that's the best time to play them. Because if they beat Palace, their season is, for all intents and purposes, done. And then you sort of, how do you motivate a team which is already sort of, supposedly got, you know, dressing room issues and the, the fact that he's meant to have lost senior players in terms of like Vardy and Morgan and they're not on side with him. So you're sort of thinking, right, well, where's the motivation for the next two months? Well, there's none really, is there? So like yeah, I said, right, any, any team that sort of sees Leicester in their fixture list is going to be rubbing their hands and thinking three points here and that could uh, be... If you're at a top four, you're looking at your goal difference and yeah, exactly. saying, well, come on, guys, <laughs> you know, we've got a really good chance here to rack up some, you know, plus goals on our on our side. So, yeah, really strange run for Leicester. I'm trying to think who Leicester, they played City, Liverpool and Spurs all recently in a big set, so, and Man United. So, I, I think really it's the teams below them that could benefit. It could even be Palace, I guess. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting for Leicester. I think it's the case of almost what Puel does between now and the end of the season and then just sort of quietly ushers out the exit door because I don't think he's going to be in a rush to stay. I know Leicester have had their own sort of um, off-pitch tragic events and I think, you know, I don't mean to sound callous, but that's probably the only thing which is keeping him in a job at the moment. So I think, you know, yeah. there'll be an amicable <clears throat> part, well, maybe a less than amicable part um, at the end of the season. I, I can see some big changes there in the summer. Can you, Dan? I think there'll be a lot of players go. Yes, I think it's uh, the end of the veneer now, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I think, you know, sort of, they've had their sort of moment in the sun three years ago. And I think, you know, obviously not living off former glories as such, but that after getting to that heights, they've missed an opportunity to at least be, you know, in the top six mix every season. And I think now they're sort of just really sort of finding the natural level and I think to try and ever get back up the table then I think there needs to be wholesale changes because I think you can't keep just living off that squad from three years ago I think you know they're trying to do it the right way but I think it needs to be a bit more more rapid really um, so where last to go oh, Arsenal yes always Arsenal last but uh, the Saints have already got the better of the Gunners once this season can they take full advantage of a team that has to play in the Europa League on Thursday night Cole no I don't think so Dan no? um Again, that result against Cardiff at the weekend, you know, just getting yourselves level and then losing it at the the last minute. I, I think that, you know, that that's a real blow it for is, Southampton yes. there. And I, I just think Arsenal, I, I don't see Arsenal having too many problems tonight in the Europa League. I think they'll, although it was quite fun seeing them lose that game, I think you still know overall they'll probably be too strong tonight for bait. Um and I still see him being too strong at the weekend for Southampton and getting a result. Um, Southampton are a team who you'd be worried about if you're their supporter because I think they are one of those sides that could get sucked in to that, you know, that final relegation place. And I think every game from now till the end of the season, if you're a Saints fan, you're sitting there thinking, I'm not confident here today going into this game. Um, I just think Arsenal will be too strong for them. Yeah, because I think with Southampton, they've obviously made some progress under Ralph 
whatever his surname is. Um, but it's just not <laughs> been sort of quick enough. I think teams are picking up wins like Cardiff, you know, like they're getting wins on the board and Southampton seems to be sort of drawing away out of trouble and that ultimately is the difference. And I think also I looked at Southampton, I think they've made 70 uh, lineup changes this season, which is like, you know, two and a half a game or something. And I think it's a case of uh, Ralph, as we'll now call him, he's trying to sort of use every player that he's got to then sort of work out, right, who are the men are going to try and get me out of this mess in the last sort of couple of months of the season? But it's not really a formula that's working for them at the moment. No, as you say, there's times where, you know, again, they ideally this year would probably like to be in a team like Leicester's position or Bournemouth where they're safe and then the new manager can spend the rest of the season just thinking, right, well, I want to see what you're like. I want to see if you're someone at next season because I'm now forward planning for next season. Where Southampton now, it's it's a risky, you know, it's a risky thing to do if you're going to keep changing your side just to suss players out because as you said Dan right now they need points on the ball because if they don't get to safety then all of a sudden you know the planning that you think you're doing compared to the planning you will have to do should you get relegated well that just blows it out of the water so he doesn't have much time to try and figure his players out and Sometimes chopping and changing your team week in week out isn't the best isn't the best way to do it. You know, you might just need to get some trusted players in there and just let them build up a relationship and get used to one another and try and play their way out of trouble. But I think that's going to go right down to the last week of the season for Southampton. Yeah, I think you're right. I think in a sense of um, a lack of continuity, that's almost been Fulham's undoing as well, isn't it? Because Jukanovic at the start of the season was changing his defensive personnel every week, trying to find the the perfect sort of formula and then that didn't work and there's a case to be made isn't there of just you know you might not be getting results straight away but if you leave the same unit of players to actually sort of then build and try and sort of do a job then you should then start to see the benefits but Fulham have been trying to sort of chop and change every week and it's having a negative effect. Yeah I think it's hard isn't it because everyone sort of says you know you should stay loyal to the players that bring you up but then at the same time you kind of know that the players that can bring you up from a championship are not players that can cope Premier League level but I think as you say there was too many changes made there um, and there should have been probably a little bit more reliance on the players that had done the job previously Um, and then as you say at least giving them a little bit of time to bed in find their feet and see how they could do Um, whereas yeah those wholesale changes you know, managers that come in and try and make massive wholesale changes, it never really works, you know. You're looking when a, if a side buy, like, lots of players in the summer, you know, oh, we've brought in six, seven players. Most people say, well, you shouldn't really do that. You know, you should just bring one or two in just to freshen it up a little bit um, and then just let everyone carry on as normal. So it's a hard act to do because if he didn't, if he hadn't had tried changing it up and bring him if you like what he must have thought were better players in and they're in the same position, people go, well, you would have known these players can cope in the Premier League. But at the same time, if you don't bring the right quality in, it, it can backfire on you as well. So, yeah, too many changes, didn't bring the right players in and that just takes its toll, doesn't it? And that with chopping and changing your side every week where two centre-halves never get to play with one another and the goalkeeper week in, week out, it, it's a recipe for disaster. Yep, you're absolutely right on that front, Carl. Just a quick uh, La Liga um, question to ask you. I don't know if you've seen, but their Super Cup, which is the equivalent of the Community Shield, is going to be expanded to four teams, and it's also going to be played abroad next season. So how it's going to work is the top two from the league and the finalists of the Copa del Rey 
you know, assuming they're all different teams. But basically, four Spanish clubs will then compete in a mini tournament to kick off the season. Good idea. Could you ever see something similar happening in, in the Premier League, especially you know, with the with the view of clubs always wanting to get foreign games? Would that be a a halfway house with the pressure that the big six put on the Premier League to sort of try and go global? How do you see that panning out? I, I guess for me, that would be a better way of doing it rather than this thirty, you know, thirty ninth yes, game right. abroad rubbish. You know, because that to me would that to me would just blow the whole league open. You know, it's like really you're going to go and play one whole one league game all in like Abu Dhabi or somewhere. It's like really that doesn't that doesn't sit comfortably with me. So if it was the case of well, let's have a pre season tournament where we, you know, as you say, these clubs can go and get their money. Um, they get their tour in so that they are reaching out to their worldwide audience, then, okay, uh, that, that for me would sit a bit easier than a, an actual official league game being played abroad somewhere. So that, I kind of think, if you're going to do something like that, that's the better way to do it. Um, I, I still like tradition, though, you know, this whole messing with messing with it just to get abroad to get more tv and more money you know doesn't sit right with me anyway but then i I like things the way they used to be dan so but if we're going to do it that doesn't sound a bad idea to me you know and if you were going to do that with a premier league you know if you said that the trouble is the top two could be the two that were in the cup final so who do you then who do you then go to but at least it's an idea and it's one that i could actually go well yeah okay i don't see the harm in that yeah, I think you're right. I mean, like you know, yourself, I'm not really one for wild change. I like sort of things how they are. But at the same time, football does need to be, yeah, to be right. progressing. So I think, you know, this wouldn't be the worst idea in the world. I don't, you know, it wouldn't sit, you know, too badly. I think, you know, any sort of idea of the 39th game or taking the Premier League on tour, and, you know, I think it's just wrong. I don't think football league should be played across borders. I think, you know, that's a, a myriad of um, reasons why and I think it's just a too much of a messy industry but I think you know obviously with La Liga and the fact that they wanted to play a game in America I think this is the sort of halfway house of thinking right okay that idea's hit the skids but let's try and take that tournament to America anyway and take four teams and at least that you know we can sort of be seen sort of trying to keep all parties happy so I think there's some logic there but I think you know yeah. with football you know it's going that way but I think it can't go all the way so I think if this is the halfway house then I don't think there'll be too many complaints. Yeah, you'd be on board, wouldn't you? That that I, I'm like you. That I could that I could deal with. But elite, if the minute they start taking league games abroad, then for me that that's it. It's done then. Yeah, I think yeah, football would be knackered. Start losing interest, unfortunately, which I don't. I never hear myself saying, but I just yeah, didn't doesn't sit well with me. I think you know, obviously you have. It's like European Super League as well, Cole, isn't it? I mean, how does that ever factor into sort of football when you sort of have the yeah, the nature right. of promotion relegation which is the fundamental principle of football <laughs> yeah, that's right. you, you can't you, just pull the ladder up and go right you know after 125 years of history that'll do us yeah. like it just it's not right really is it but could you we, see... we want to do this and we can we can never be relegated so no matter how bad we get we're always in this and sod the rest of you yeah that that's that's a joke that yeah is. i mean could you ever see you know this is real crystal ball time could you ever see the champions league acting as a i guess it's a super league in all but name anyway but could you see that as a sort of the higher point of a footballing pyramid where you'd have still promotion and relegation where a team could be in the Champions League but not in the Premier League for a season and obviously if it didn't have success in the Champions League it would drop in so you'd have still like a, a fluid movement but you wouldn't necessarily have the four English club competing in both fronts so 
Yeah, I mean, as you say, Dan, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, these money men are trying to come up with new ways of making money and getting the game global. They'll be sitting around the table coming up with all these sorts of ideas, won't they? And the problem is when they put these ideas to some of these top clubs and they tell them the sort of money involved, then the people who run these clubs, that is what really matters to a lot of them. So they're never going to turn that down. So you wouldn't be surprised, would you, at some point, if there is some form of breakaway football where, you know, your top sides from one division all wander off and go and play play football on their own while the rest of everyone looks up and says, oh, right, OK, you lot are gone. So we're, we're almost kind of starting from scratch again with us. And before you know it, a team... I don't know, yeah, the team like Spurs become the powerhouse in the Premier League because the other three or four have all gone. Yeah, I mean, would the change be more palatable for you if it was in-house in the sense of UEFA and not just some Saudi money man who's gone, right, I want to redesign football. Say if UEFA took his bicycle off the neck and said, do you know what, uh, League R, La Liga, Bundesliga, the competition element is sort of, it's dead. We need to sort of try and revolutionised European football with that kind of system where the Champions League then became the pinnacle and then I guess the sort of major European leagues fed into it but you couldn't necessarily compete on both fronts in one season would that be more acceptable or is it still something that is a a no-go for you? Well, for, for me, and if anything that comes in like that I, I wouldn't be for because to me it's just like, no, you know, you, each each country has their own league and then you know back in the day like when it was the european cup you know it's like your your winners go in that cup the cup winners cup winners go there um so yeah any time that you maybe sort of said oh well actually now the premier league city liverpool and united are not in it they're off playing in this champions league every week to me then if, if the team who then win that division would probably you'd never feel like you actually really won the title yes that's always have that that element of like, well, yeah, you only won it because United, Liverpool and City were off playing somewhere else. So, you know, if the day we bring them back in, you'll go back down to fourth or something like that. So for me, it would just tar football going forward because it never would have that same feeling again. Yep, you're absolutely right, mate, unfortunately. So let's just hope the status quo quo, stays as it is. For at least, uh, I don't know, for the length of we're alive. So a long time yeah. still to come. Once we're yeah, gone. Yeah, once I'm gone, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do what you want. <laughs> Fuck it, I don't care. <laughs> right then, on that planning bombshell, um, it's time to sort of wrap things up. So, Cole, just need to thank you, as always. An absolute pleasure. No worries, Dan. Been a pleasure, mate. Glad to talk to you again. Cheers, mate. Let's hopefully do it again soon. So, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.